Ah, here we go. Rules for Christian households. Uh, this is uh, 318 through 46. Wives, submit to your husbands as, in, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you have a master in heaven. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. And let your conversation be always full of grace, seasons with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Amen. This morning, excuse me, we're finishing up our uh, series on Colossians, our series called Rethinking Life. Now, in chapter 1 and 2, Paul reminded the Colossians, and he reminds us, of who God is, who Jesus is, and what God has done for us through Jesus. We've been rescued from darkness. We've been made alive with Christ. We're forgiven. Our debt's been canceled and marked paid in full because of the blood of Jesus. We have been made complete in Christ. That's the why behind our behavior. And then last week, the first part of chapter 3, Paul compares our old life with the new one by telling us, cast off that old stuff. That's not your life anymore. You have a new life, and this is what it looks like. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, forgiveness, and most importantly, love. Because without love, everything we do is meaningless. And then in today's text, Paul shows us what it looks like when we rethink life and we put on Christ. He shows us three opportunities that we have to show how Christ has made a difference in our lives. Family, work, and in the world. And he starts with the marriage relationship. So if you want a healthy marriage, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Ouch. Not many people like that verse. And the reason they don't like that verse is because people take it and twist it and make it mean something it really doesn't mean. Men use this verse to claim authority or superiority over women. Some women take this verse and use it as an excuse to avoid the church or to stay away from God. Oh, Christianity, that Bible, oh, it's chauvinistic. Have you read it? It's all about women are inferior to men. 
Not true, not true at all. You're listening to the wrong people. In fact, if you read this book, in this book, it shows equality between men and women. God doesn't show favorites. This verse that we just read is a good example of how we can take one verse completely out of context and twist it to fit the narrative we want it to be. See, the world tells us that submission is a sign of weakness. It's a sign of one person being more superior than the other. doesn't mean that. This verse doesn't mean that men are superior to women. Genesis 1.27 says that men and women were created as image bearers of Christ. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We're equal in our identity with God. This verse doesn't mean that women should unconditionally obey their husbands. It doesn't give husbands authority to get what they want. Don't miss the second part. Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. See, to understand what Paul's talking about here, we have to look at what he just talked about before. Christ is the center of all things. Christ is supreme. He reigns. Christ is the center at the forefront of everything, including our relationships. Ephesians 5.21, this is what Paul said, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We submit to one another out of love. There's that love word again. See, in marriage, there's a mutual subjection to Christ. Jesus is the head of our marriages. Not the woman, not the man. A healthy marriage, a healthy Christian marriage, has Jesus as the head of the marriage. And when we submit our lives to Christ, we know that we're loved. In our submission to Christ, we know that he cares for us. And in marriage, when we submit to one another, it's out of that same caring. It's out of that same love. In our home, I am not allowed to climb ladders. Because of the dizzy spells that I get and and things, I'm not allowed to climb ladders. As much as I want to climb ladders, you know, when we moved into the new house, there were pictures that needed to be hung up, and, and they weren't happening on my timetable. And so it was a struggle for me. I wanted to climb the ladder so badly. You have to know, if you know me, you know that I, I, I'm very stubborn, and I really wanted to hang up those pictures. But my husband said, please, do not climb the ladders. But that was coming out of love. That was coming out of caring, and so I respected that. That was submission to his authority, if you will. But it was out of love, and it was out of caring for me. In the same way that he starts to work too hard, and I say, please, stop. Just sit and rest before you start to get sick. Stop. 
It comes out of the same thing. He's submitting to me, but because of my love and caring for him. That's what submission is about. That's what it means. In a healthy Christian marriage, a husband and wife are growing together. They're dreaming about their future together. But this only happens when both people are unified in their pursuit of Jesus at the center of their lives, as the head of their marriage. With Jesus as the head of your marriage, it means that decisions are brought to him in prayer, together, not just one person deciding. It means that you express appreciation for your spouse. It means that you focus on the good qualities and not nitpick them for their quirks or their idiosyncrasies. There was a a young couple that they were struggling financially, and so they had come together and said, okay, we need to curb our spending. We can't spend money the same way. But they had gotten an invitation to a wedding, and so, of course, the wife said, I need, to, I need a dress for the wedding. And the husband said, okay, fine, but don't spend too much. And so the wife went out. She found a beautiful dress, but it was more than she probably should have spent. So she came home, showed it to her husband, and he said, oh, it looks lovely. Wonderful choice. How much was it? And she told him how much it was, and He said, I thought we talked about this. I thought we said not to spend too much. She said, the devil made me do it. And he said, well, then why didn't you just say, get thee behind me, Satan? She said, I did. And he said, it looks really good from the back, too. Idiosyncrasies, our quirks. We have to learn to love one another despite the quirks, despite the idiosyncrasies. We all have them. We're all imperfect people. We're just trying to make it work. And that's why we need Jesus as the head, front and center, because he is perfect. When Jesus is the head of your marriage, it means that you're looking to become a better spouse, not make your spouse better. We should be looking at how God wants to change us and work on ourselves to be better. And when Jesus is the head of your marriage, he enables you to be grateful givers, not takers. And you can serve and submit to one another freely. And then Paul goes into, all right, here's a marriage. Now, kids, children, obey your parents. I love that verse. For this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not aggravate your children or they will become discouraged. Parenting is the greatest joy you'll ever have, but it's also the toughest job you'll ever love. There are three primary responsibilities of a parent. You got to teach them about love. We give tender affection to our kids. Positive encouragement. Because our children need to be confident in our love for them. If they're going to learn what love looks like. If they're going to learn how to form lasting relationships. The second thing we do as parents is discipline. 
If we're too laid back, then our kids won't learn self-control. And they'll develop attitudes of entitlement. Well, I deserve this. I deserve this. I deserve this. I can do this. This is mine. This is mine. This is mine. But if we're too strict, if the pendulum shifts the other way too far, then our kids won't learn about choice and consequences because we're always coming in to protect them from those consequences. We've got to find that balance between too much freedom and not enough freedom. And the third thing, one of the most important things that as a parent that we need to bring to our kids is spiritual development. We have to highlight the importance of ethical priorities over worldly values with our kids. It's a parent's responsibility to model enthusiasm for God. Otherwise, they're not going to pick it up. Fathers, do not aggravate your children. They will become discouraged. What does that mean? Pick your battles. That's what that means. Pick your battles for the things that matter to God. Because the rest of it doesn't matter. If you nag them to clean their room or punish, the, punish them for using bad language, but then just step aside when they treat their friends poorly or they shun people because they don't like them, what do you do? Which, what's your battle? If you nag them about their grades in school, but you let them skip church. Pick your battle. Are you raising a spiritual, passionate kid? Or are they just going to, oh, it's just God, I go to church. That's okay, I believe in God. Yeah, I'm a Christian. Pick your battles. I cannot stress enough how important spiritual development is for our kids. Over and over, I've heard parents say, over 14 years now, I've, hear, I've heard parents say, I don't know what to do. My kids are driving me crazy. I can't. They're not listening to me. They're, they're doing this. They're doing that. They're so far away from God, I don't understand. Kids model what they see. If a relationship with God seems peripheral for your kids, it's because they see it's peripheral for you. Do your children see that your relationship with God is your utmost priority? People have dreams for their kids. Oh, I want them to go to the best college. I want them to have the best job. I want them to marry someone good and We all have dreams for our kids. You know what my one dream for my kids was? I hope they love God. Day in and day night, that's all I prayed. I hope they love God. I pray and I pray that they love God. And the second one, I hope they love people. Love God and love people. It didn't matter. I didn't care if my kids went to college. But if they loved God and they lived their whole lives loving God and loving people, then that was successful to me. That was answered prayer. That's our job as parents. 
Paul continues, Slaves, obey your earthly masters. In everything you do, try to please them all the time, not just when they're looking. You know, the closest thing we have in our culture to the slave-master concept is the employee-boss relationship. And as we rethink life, that includes rethinking work. Because we usually have a very unbiblical view of work. It's something we just have to do. It's just part of the world. We have to do it. We have to pay taxes. We need to get a paycheck to survive. No wonder we're miserable at work. Who wants to enjoy that? So Paul points out, who do you work for? Every company has a CEO who delivers a paycheck. But who do you ultimately work for? As a follower of Christ, ultimately you work for God. He's the one who is Lord over our lives. And if you call yourself a Christian, you work for Jesus no matter what your job title is. The world tries to tell us that our job is our identity. The Bible tells us your identity is in Christ. You're not working for your identity. As a Christian, you're working from your identity. My husband is a follower of Christ who happens to be a doctor. He's not a doctor who happens to be a Christian. It sounds like word games. It sounds like semantics. But it matters. It makes an impact on how you approach your job. Because it's your identity. And it affects how you perform in the workplace. When we realize that we're working for God, it changes our approach to our work. What characterizes our work? If we work for the Lord, how does our work look? There was a TV show a couple of years ago called Undercover Boss. And the, the point behind it was the CEO would want to know down on the, on the bottom scale of the company, what the employees were going through. But he didn't want them to know that he was the boss, so he would pretend to be someone in training. And, and he would go into the company, and he would work with some of these people. And it was surprising to most of the bosses what their employees were actually going through. But it also surprised them how honest some of their employees were whether the boss was looking or not. They didn't know he was the boss. And so many of their employees, they were honest. Of course, there were those that weren't. We respond differently when our boss is watching. Well, our boss, our Heavenly Father, is always watching. And Paul tells us to serve sincerely. Work willingly as though you were working for the Lord rather than people. That means we give our best. That means we work with integrity. You know, Christians should be the best employees in the company. We should be trustworthy. We should be hard workers who respect and cooperate with the team. 
It means we don't show up and complain about our job day in and day out. Remember, it's God who gave you that job. Do everything without arguing and complaining. Why? Why do I need to look at work that way? Because it's a gift from God. Your job is a gift from God. It's a way for you to support yourself and your family, and it's a way for you to help others who are in need as well. Our response to God in our work is an attitude of thankfulness. It's an attitude of gratitude. What if we understood our work, our job, to be worship to the Lord? Because really that's what it should be. Paul told us in 3.17, Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. Thanksgiving is central to worship. And the thankful attitude that we hold on to, even in the difficult jobs, can be meaningful worship. You know, we spend more hours per week at our job than anywhere else. Think of the opportunity to show the impact of Jesus on your life. When you view your work as worship, when you're thankful every day, no matter what your boss is like. But when you go in and you are thankful and have an attitude of gratitude and your work is worship, think of the impact the people around you have. So why do we do it? Paul said, remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward. But if you do what is wrong, you'll be paid back for the wrong you have done. There's a mule and an ox. They were working hard. Farmer was working them hard every day. And one day, the ox decided, you know what? I think I want to play sick today. And the mule said, I don't think that's a good idea. And the ox said, no, let's do it together. The mule said, no, I'm, I'm going to go to work. And so the day came, and the ox played sick. And so the mule was dragged out to the field and did all the work himself. At the end of the day, the mule comes back, and the ox said, so, how'd it go? The mule says, well, it was a slow day. It was a hard day. And the ox says, well, did the farmer say anything about me? No farmer didn't say anything and so the ox realizes well this is kind of nice I've got it made here I'm going to do it again tomorrow so the next day the ox plays sick again says to the mule come on stay stay back here in the barn with me we can have fun no I'm a mule it's my job I'm going out to the field so again the ox stays in the barn the mule goes out the mule comes back at the end of the day ox says so, how'd it go? Mule says, it was a long day. It's a long day. Well, the ox says, did the farmer talk about me? Not to me. But he did spend a lot of time talking to the butcher. You know, there are consequences. God will honor 
your thankfulness. God will honor the gratitude that you offer in your workplace. There are consequences. Romans 2, starting in verse 6, says this. He will judge everyone according to what they have done. He will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good, seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers. But he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth, instead live lives of wickedness. There will be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps on doing what is evil. But there will be glory and honor and peace from God for all who do good, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. Do good. And it starts with Jesus. Always starts with Jesus. Then Paul moves to how we're going to accomplish this. How can we do this? Be good in our marriage. Submit in our marriage. How can we treat our workplace as worship? Pray. Jesus is always with us. He's always inspecting our hearts and our attitudes. But he's also there to empower us. Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Not sure how to be transformed? Pray. Not sure how to be a better spouse? Pray. Not sure how to be a better parent or a better employee? Pray. Pray for opportunities to shine the light of Christ. Pray for God to open doors. We heard some of that earlier in our service. How God opened doors. You have to pray for those. God, please use me. And when God opens doors, it's a beautiful thing. But that also means that we don't kick down the doors that he closes. Because sometimes he keeps them closed for a season. Nobody comes to Jesus by being hit over the head with a Bible. Nobody comes to Jesus through an argument, ever, ever. Like a farmer who prepares the soil for planting seeds in the spring, we have to be praying for God to prepare hearts and open doors as we live our Christ-centered lives. Pray that people see your hope. Pray that people see a difference in your attitude and in your behavior. And then Paul says, let your conversation be gracious and attractive. Wow. Look at the news. Go on Facebook, go on any social media. Conversation is not gracious right now. But if our conversation is gracious, think of the difference that people see. Because gracious conversation is warm and respectful, it's welcoming. Gracious conversation involves listening with a genuine interest to others. Gracious conversation means sharing, not declaring. It means sharing your personal stories about who Jesus is to you. Gracious conversation means refusing to become belligerent and argumentative. 
no matter what's coming at you. Because responding with anger only stirs up trouble. Proverbs 14, 29. People with understanding control their anger. A hot temper shows great foolishness. Gracious conversation means apologizing for hurtful speech or behaviors. Sometimes we do things unintentionally that hurt others. And in those times, we have an opportunity to show the work of Christ in us by taking responsibility and apologizing. God is always at work. Sometimes our apologies are a sweet-smelling aroma of Christ. Sometimes our gracious conversation dispels myths and misconceptions that people have about Christianity. How we respond to our role in the family and how we respond to our work and our job has a ripple effect that lasts for eternity. It does seem like an overwhelming task. But Jesus gives us one another. We're not meant to do it alone. Earlier in chapter 3, Paul reminded them that they were members of one body. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another through psalms and hymns and songs, singing to the Lord gratitude in your hearts. Paul closes out this letter by thanking his ministry companions. He goes through name after name after name. It's a reflection that the body of Christ needs one another. He starts speaking out tender affection for them. He loves them and he cares for them, even though they're not part of his natural family. But through Christ, they are his family. How often do we share with one, thank you, I appreciate you, thank you. How often do we do that? The world tells us it's a weakness. In the body of Christ, it's a sign of strength. And then Paul continues with them, and he thanks them for their faithfulness. He praises them for being faithful. Even when the road was difficult, his companions kept moving forward. They persevered. They didn't throw their hands up in the air in frustration and walk away. They toughed it out together, staying obedient to God's call upon their lives and keeping their minds on the things of God. We aren't supposed to be lone rangers. We need one another. If we want to be better employees, better bosses, better spouses, better parents. We have to stay in community to one another. Because it's among here, among your brothers and sisters, that's where you'll be encouraged. The challenges in the world out there, they're going to drain you. But time spent with your church family will fill you back up. And as we pray for one another, as we worship together, and we hold each other accountable to keeping Jesus in our vision, that's 
where we get filled up. And that's how we can transform our lives. We do it together, keeping Jesus at the center because he reigns. He is supreme. Christ is supreme. Christ is sufficient. And Christ is Lord. And we are one in him. Church, don't miss. Don't miss what Christ is. If he is not all sufficient for you, if he is not supreme in your life, if he is not Lord of your life, don't leave here till you talk to somebody. We all need Jesus. We all need Jesus. Holy Father, we thank you for Jesus. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Savior. Jesus is provider and sufficient of all our needs. But sometimes, Father, we fight. We just, we want to do it our way. We fight back and we say, no, I can do it myself. Lord, help us to see Jesus clearly. Lift the veil from our eyes so we can see you clearly at work in our lives. So we see the things that we're not seeing, that you're behind, Lord. So we can offer up thankfulness, praise, and gratitude. That we can shine a light to the darkness. Father, as we leave this place this morning... May we be encouraged by your word. May we be challenged by your word. May we hold one another up. May we not be afraid to go to one another with our fears, with our concerns and our doubts. Lord, we thank you. In Jesus' holy and precious name, amen.